Welcome back to 16 Artists and part two of my conversation with Rachel and Alistair in our final conversation of the season. Let's dive right back in. Part of how I've personally been reacting as someone who's a little late to kind of understanding these deeper cracks, like I think for me, there were two ruptures in my sense of reality in the last year. First was the pandemic. And then the second for me happened to be January 6th, watching the coup attempt unfold in Washington, D.C. from London on YouTube Live. And it was just this moment of like, okay, I know that it's surreal, but now it's a new level of surreal. And because our world is so mediated through the screen, it's sometimes the real and the performed and the artificial and the imagined all kind of get conflated, but this was a moment of like, wait, no, this, this is happening. And, um, yeah, that, that night was kind of, I think when my drag persona was born, like it'd been kind of mounting through the cocoon of lockdown, through discovering RuPaul's Drag Race for the first time, kind of late, but all kind of percolating. And then that night, like the one thought that really crystallized my brain was in order not to break, we must transform because I could feel myself breaking. The world, as I knew it, was collapsing. And I think if we hung on to that, we would just collapse with it. And so that's something that I'm hopeful about with regard to artists in the world as a part of social change is that we are shapeshifters, we're changing, we, we create, we hopefully inspire others to also play and imagine and create. And hopefully that means we can continue to ride the change instead of being like really attached to the systems of behavior and the institutions that seemed stable before. Right. I would love to hear more about like your drag, you know? Yeah. yeah like, honestly, you are so beautiful. You know? <laughs> the drag thing, you know, I was talking to Darkwa today about how because they're also kind of a jack of all trades. And I kind of, especially in college, you know, there's there, I felt like there was all this pressure to specialize. And there was just something about, I don't know, the way drag allows you to do comedy, music, dance, modeling, fashion, art, makeup. It's like a specialty for jacks of all trades, I guess. And that's at least how I first encountered it. I'm kind of in the middle of this queer reckoning because my whole college career was built in some ways on my identity as a straight aligned person. Like Harvard was so straight. <laughs> I didn't realize it um, until later. I just didn't realize how much I was conforming and how much that I was actually suppressing my queer voice, despite like being totally accepted. But it was it was a wider culture. It was a wider atmosphere that had us conforming. And finding that flow has been really exhilarating and challenging in the last year, sort of this internal process, but also really connecting that to my own practice as a musician. It's sort of also the missing link, I think, with songs that I was trying to write that were that I love but I tried to like release some online and something just didn't fit when I was branding them as Raylan because mm. it's like Raylan was so laden with 
all of this other baggage of this identity of like the Harvard graduate, like people pleasing, you know, type of person. And so the moment today is giving birth to my drag persona, Manta Woman, who's also my singer songwriter persona. And it's just this beautiful amalgamation of all these art forms. And I feel like there's so many ways into it. And and there's so many ways out of it too. Like there's so many ways drag, I think needs to be pushed and needs to change. So I'm really, I'm really excited to see, I decided to have had that opportunity to connect with that culture and that part of my own heritage, I guess. And I will say that I think the internet is a big part of that. I think the visibility that queer people and drag artists are able to find at least with other queer people, I've found quite heartening. Yeah. I think there's a lot of pressure in our culture right now for people to be authentic and then just to be kind of one thing and like authentically that thing, right? Like if you're like Raylan, your job is to authentically be Raylan. And of course, like that's good and stuff. But I think that it also coincides weirdly with this capitalist pressure to brand and to kind of just like fit in like, you know, what people recognize you quote unquote authentically are. I really like, you know, what you're saying about like drag. It's like, it's like so creative. And what you're creating is like a whole nother person or persona or like, like a new like a space of like free identity. And you can decide like, you don't have to be Raylan. You can be Manta woman, right? And like, who is Manta woman? And then you can inhabit that, you know, whole other identity in person. Yes. Yeah. And I, I wish we would all give ourselves that freedom because I think a lot of people I realized this year, like, oh, like before I was being a person and now I no longer feel like I am quite that person. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think so much of our identity crises come from the pressure to have one identity. Yeah. We're shoehorning our multiplicity into one persona, one yeah. identity. And that's that causes, it's like a pressure cooker or it's just something that is going to explode at some point if if you if you don't allow there to be some fluidity. One thing that like drag to me, I mean, this is a very rudimentary metaphor, but feels kind of like identity yoga in a way, or like identity tai chi, because I feel like I can stretch the parts of myself instead of always like performing. Because our our normal everyday identities are performances, you know, and they're just routinized. But what happens if we just, like, give that a rest? I think I was asking if the pandemic offered you all space to, I guess, yeah, if this time away from other people has allowed for, like, a greater exploration of who one is. Like, maybe that's actually a really common thing. (laughs) But I've definitely... I think I came into the pandemic on my way out or a few months out of like a relationship that would really made me mm. by the end of it hate <laughs> being quit or like wish I was anything but for a long time. And it was just at, it was actually Sophie's memorial. Uh, it was Sophie, the music producer. There was a memorial party hosted by Club Quarantine, which is a queer Zoom party. I don't know if any of you haven't been. I highly recommend it. (laughs) And it was like all of these people all over the world, I think 700 people. And it was just this moment of feeling, A, like really connected to this community. I ran into at 
the party online. Garrett Allen, who I hadn't seen in, since like college. Yeah, our classmate. Like had a <laughs> like, catch up. And yeah, just for the first time in a long time, or maybe first time ever, had truly felt this like real gratitude for being part of this particular community. I don't know, it's something about it being in the middle of a pandemic in which people aren't able to get together in queer spaces mm. dance that this kind of online will be an online like queer communal nightclub space yeah. felt just so um <laughs> important and special and incredible and healing and mm-hmm. all sorts of things I don't think I would have had that kind of like rush of identity like acceptance and then now feeling also this like strong desire to like incorporate some element of drag into just like life or but also performance and my practice and like drag in the broadest possible sense yeah like a a certain freedom to not yeah as what you're saying like be this single brand of myself (laughs) so unnecessary do it I'm telling you do it it feels so good (laughs) and it's like just the most fun thing I love it and anyway yeah so but I I'm wondering if that moment would have happened had I had we not had this intense like a being away from the eyes of so many people but also like just having the time alone with oneself yeah I feel like you know um you know, when you're like typing in like Gmail and then it's like, it suggests for you what you want to say, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I kind of feel like, you know, we sort of like make ourselves according to like what we imagine of like the possibilities and like our possibilities, right? And I kind of feel like when you're seeing all these other people, it's sort of like auto suggestions for how you should mm-hmm. be, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's just no effort to just like click on their auto suggestion and be like, oh yeah, like I am that Rachel that you suggest, <laughs> right? I'm that Rachel that you were telling me that I could be. <laughs> right? Yeah. But like, I think when you're just like alone and like, there's like nobody that's like really like suggesting itself to you constantly. Right. Like then you kind of have to like type your own email. Right? <laughs> <laughs> the moral is type your own email. <laughs> yeah. That metaphor is incredibly poetic. Also, I want to say that, you know, Rachel, while we're talking about this, this process of like online identity and being the author of our own email, (laughs) um, you know, Rachel, something that's really struck me about you is, is your incredible earnest expression on Facebook. Like you're one of the people that I feel like is using Facebook and it's generative. (laughs) And I'd love for you to say more about how your process of expression has has evolved as a result of lockdown, as Alistair asked, but maybe also as a result of, you know, your relationship with social media and, and communicating yeah. online. Yeah, well, so just to fill in, like, you know, Alistair, and I guess, like, whoever else is, like, not, like, my Facebook friend. So it also kind of came about for me, like, during the pandemic, that, like, you know, my boyfriend and I, we agreed to pretty strict lockdown conditions, So we really didn't see that many people for like a really long time. Like we had like our quarantine pod of like, you know, the two of us, his twin sister and then her boyfriend. And that was kind of it. And then also I moved to a new city like in the tail end of November 2019. So like I kind of left behind like all of my East Coast like social networks. And like, you know, I moved back to Texas, which is where I'm originally from. But 
like I had like really lost contact with like everybody here and like kind of just the craziness of like going to college and like law school and stuff right so like I really felt like very like you know isolated and at the same time like I was like trying to get my illustrations started on like social media and stuff right <clears throat> and then when I post them to Instagram which I kind of thought of as like my more like you know career platform like I would also post them to Facebook so like people could keep up with what I was doing and stuff and then I just like write down like little thoughts but like it was so cathartic to just like have a space to write which I didn't realize this but like like I just really wanted to write I realized you know and then um like eventually like I just started to write faster than I could draw because I'm very slow at drawing so then I would just sometimes post like my writing and stuff but anyway like the key thing is just like I did it because there's a kind of freedom in knowing that you can write whatever you want on the internet and that you will never have to run into any of these people in real life again for at least like a year <laughs> yeah so you can just be like you know I'm really really like sad or you know about this and like just you know but then you don't have to like run into someone at the grocery store you know accidentally and be like so like are you doing okay are you really really sad <laughs> you know I just started making like a lot of my posts like friends only if there was anyone that I felt like wasn't like emotionally like supportive or safe or like you know like I just like blocked a couple of people that I felt like were kind of aggressive mm -hmm. and then after that it was just like this perfect space of like only nice people who are only praising me for, <laughs> for, for <laughs> It's just a personal <laughs> echo chamber of validation for Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> but it was like so nice, but like, you know, and then I feel like for me, I'm the kind of person, like, it's really hard for me to reach out to people that I know because like, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but everyone I know is like so busy. Like yeah. all of my friends are like so busy. And then I'm just like, oh, like I can't text you. I know that you are like, working really hard yeah. you know and then like but then if I like just post it on social media I feel like well if you're too busy to respond you can scroll past it yeah so in some ways like I feel like it's just kind of like putting my little signal flare into yeah. the world and like whoever wants to pick it up can pick it up you know so like just like yeah. radio Rachel radio I'm tuning <laughs> in you know one one thing I want to add to that just kind of being on the receiving end of it is that I think you're also very giving in this act of expression because you're putting your heart out and you're being vulnerable for this audience. And it gives us permission to feel, it gives us permission to reflect on the things that you're talking about. So I just want to say that it is, it is a two-way thing and it's not just an echo chamber for you that that's why I brought it up because I think it's, um, it's writing that's really connecting with people from what I can see. I am also really interested in this broader trend that you're talking about of human communication happening through social media. I mean, we grew up when social media was sort of invented. And I think what I've been going through as a millennial is like, oh yeah, social media is like kind of always over here. We're sort of managing it. And, but it's not like the, it's not the real thing. But I think for certain generations, for certain people, social media is social communication. It is how oh, I was like a Tumblr girl, like oh, okay. 16 years old. Like, I mean, people are really down about social media, but when you're like a teenager and you're like living in like, you know, a, sub a Texas suburb, right? Yeah. And then you're just like, I'm going to post my aesthetic picture of pink clouds with like, I mean, I feel like you must be like the most equipped to do cool social like media stuff because you work in video and like, like, do you feel that way? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't really. I just 
occasionally post like a, a, a little <laughs> a little blob on a black background. <laughs> yeah. the of my Don't we all? Yeah, I guess I'm kind of a bit skeptical, especially of Instagram and like yeah. what we're talking about, like the branding of oneself. Yeah, it's like mass mediafication of like I don't want like my art to be my br- brand. I don't want to like yeah. be a. But yeah, I guess like I, it's one thing. What like you're saying about the autofill? Like I see other people like prolifically using certain social media platforms to build yeah. a base and it's like oh maybe I should be doing that and then I'm like well maybe, maybe it's fine not to like so I think yeah. yeah I think it sounds like what you're doing is like a really incredible like organic wholesome thing that's mostly for you and I feel like yeah, there I'm are often... my feelings on Facebook like that's yeah. it <laughs> yeah I think it's great that people build a following on Instagram and like sell what they do financially or just like metaphorically online. I, th- I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. Yeah. It's just something that I just haven't really, probably too lazy. <laughs> I just not, I think you have to really be invested in that and I'm not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like you like want attention. Like, do you guys feel like, you know, you, how do you feel about like, your relationships? Like, it's- Look at me. <laughs> also, it's by, by default of like where we went to school and like also what some of the, like what people are getting up to. Well, I personally feel and try and resist this pressure to have immediately appreciable signifiers of achievement yeah <laughs> you know what I mean it's like and I was telling my friend the other day I was like just one thing it'd be great if I could just have one like kind of clouty thing you know a screening <laughs> here like an exhibition there like if I could just do that one thing that would like last me two years <laughs> fictional things that we think we need to like to validate ourselves a it's just a slippery slip like it will never be enough it's yeah. like you know there's always then Fine, you had an exhibition, but then it's you need the solo exhibition, but then you need it at you know a mega gallery, or then you need your retrospective at the Tate, and then you need the Turner Prize. You know, it's like, there's you can always. I think that's the capitalist mindset of there's always another bit of clout that you can achieve. So I think it's been good to like work on resisting, resisting, yeah. resisting clout. <laughs> Maybe yeah. <I'm> just <laughs> resisting clout. But it's like I, I genuinely think we specifically probably went through an environment that like positions like reputation and name and brand above all other things it's like because it doesn't really matter like you know what classes you did or how well how much you got into one particular paper because it's like well a there's the brand name of Harvard but then a did you get an a did you get a you know what it's like yeah I feel like my college experience was all about was all about trying yeah it was never about like actually reading the book you know (laughs) it's all about getting the a whether you've read it or not (laughs) getting into the thing getting the internship getting down into the valley because you arrive on the mountain right you get your harvard admissions you're on the mountain and then you have to stay up there because you have to get an a in every class what have you it's just like constant concentric circles of exclusivity and achievement and I think one of the the helpful lessons as the student as the artist was soon after 
college being like, oh, wow, no one in this industry cares. <laughs> I went to Harvard, like yeah. in the arts and in entertainment, it's really a, a quick way to realize that the world is much wider and, you know, it doesn't matter as much as we think it matters. Nothing will come of this, right? Like taking care of this dog. But like, you know, since I got her, every day has been a little happier, you know? That's beautiful. What's something that's been making you happier, Alistair? Something that's been bringing you joy? God, so many things. I will say, I now counter to the <laughs> doing nothing. Like I've noticed that ever since I like had quote-unquote work again hmm. after so long off and I w- I think I was truly very happy as an un- in undergrad like hmm. continually like brain split into like five directions like running from one thing to another hmm. I just know that that actually is quite is when I feel like happiest so to be back in a situation, even though it's stressful and <laughs> like I'm worried about X deadline or the other, like I've noticed a genuine lessening of anxiety and like depression <laughs> immediately. Mm-hmm. After, I think it was after the most recent lockdown eased and I like moved across to Rye to begin this um, residency. And for the first time I laid in bed and like, my mind wasn't like racing in that like negative <laughs> direction. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, it feels nice to be doing stuff. <laughs> That's made me really happy. Also, but you know, other things like if I could only find enough time in every day to like exercise once, to meditate, to make a loaf of bread, <laughs> to cook each meal for myself and mm-hmm. to read and <laughs> like it's like... As many of those things, as like cliched as they will sound, like, they really do make a profound impact, especially in those long months of feeling like I wasn't doing anything that, you know, uh, again, like feeling these pressures to achieve something or do something, like taking care of my mental and physical health was really important at staying happy. And I really began to notice the days where you missed meditating or missed around mm. even the times when I feel the best in my life are often the times when I'm doing like all the basics really well you know mm-hmm. just like a day where like I have a really good salad for lunch and like I you know do an exercise thing and like you know even if like nothing exciting happens that day I'm like oh like my body is like nutrients <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've also been experiencing something like that effect with being able to walk around the city more or or go to other parts of the city because I feel like you know when you go to another country when you when you travel usually the very basic things of just getting from point A to B like getting food in your body and sleeping feel really like exciting (laughs) and it's just because the context is completely new and I've been trying to see if it's possible to kind of experience that here locally and yeah, just finding that newness or remembering that newness 
um, as the backdrop of each day. Um, that is so lovely. While we're all sharing our proverbs, I want to ask a question that I've been asking almost everyone on the podcast as our as our last topic. So if you could give one piece of advice to yourself five years ago when we graduated from college, what would it be? Just one. <laughs> you can you I'll give you up to two. <laughs> Mine would be to be patient and to do the invisible work. <laughs> I would I would also really like I wish I could have given me that one nine years ago when I was starting college. Like do the invisible work. Yeah, not just <laughs> the one that like is the checkbox for that grade for that class or whatever. It's like you actually work on the things that nobody sees because that's kind of the important stuff I think yeah I would tell myself like you think as you graduate college like that you you know are a thing and like you've kind of filled your canvas and stuff and like things are in some way like kind of over right like you're you're decided you're slotted right I would say like no you're completely wrong about that you're like a huge canvas and like only one tiny, tiny corner has been filled and you don't really know what yourself and you still have to go on and like really expand out into that whole canvas. And that takes time. But like, I would just say like, you you know, you're like really young. Like you don't need to feel like if you don't figure everything out, like right now, like, you know, that's, you just can't, right. You just can't have figured everything out. And then I would also say, like, it's really important to find people who you don't feel like you don't need to feel awkward or self-conscious around. And that is very hard. <laughs> yeah, like, I think that that you need to get away from feeling like you're in a competitive environment. Really, yeah. what about you? One would be go dancing in clubs more. Mm. <laughs> and... I think I'm realizing what's tricky about this question is that after I've asked it to everybody is that I don't mean to imply that any of us want to change who we were at that stage because whatever lack of advice we had got us to where we are today. And, you know, we grew during that time. So it's really more just honestly for the current students who might be listening to the podcast, you know, it's, 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 it's really about them. So maybe I've been asking the question wrong this whole time. I mean, I think everyone has shared amazing thoughts on this podcast and I'm going to bring back what we talked about at the beginning. We can learn from everyone around us, not just the people who have the pedestal or who are standing at the front of the lecture hall. We can learn from every single person around us. The person who is sitting at the front desk of the apartment building, the person who is bagging our groceries, a friend from college five years ago who we didn't talk to that much, a makeup artist, your roommate, your sister. So for those of us who are at that point of some kind of graduation, maybe leaving, an institution of learning, I think that's the helpful reminder that the the learning never stops if you let it continue.
Thank you so much to listening to this season of 16 Artists. It's been a real pleasure curating these conversations for you, and I really hope they shed a little bit of light on what it's like to be a young artist today, and maybe even piqued the curiosity of the artist within you. Thank you so much, as always, to the Harvard Office for the Arts and the Harvard Alumni Association for making this podcast possible. Thank you to Shez Manzor for being my co-producer, editor, and mixer, and musical partner in crime. And I hope I get to interact with some of you online or otherwise. If you have any feedback for me about this season, feel free to reach out to me directly on Instagram and Twitter at R-E-Y-L-X-N. And if you want to learn more about the podcast and where things are moving, you can check us out at 16artists.com. My name is Raylan Yant. Thank you so much for listening to 16 Artists. Bye.